0: Hello dear listeners, you're listening to Voices at Play, a tabletop RPG podcast featuring marginalized people playing and discussing games made by marginalized creators. Today is our first ever player-only roundtable discussion. Unfortunately, due to scheduling and health issues, not everyone was able to make it today. But, please let me introduce Cass.
1: Hi, I'm Cass. My pronouns are she or they. You can find me at Twitter at Cass K Designs. I'm currently working on a pirate fantasy game called Tides of Gold, which you can find at my Twitter. And I'm really excited to discuss this game.
0: And I'm super excited for Tides of Gold, but shh. <laughs> <laughs> Sam.
2: Hi, I'm Sam. My pronouns are they, them. You can find me on Twitter at Just Sam, please. Uh, And I'm currently working on a couple secret things. Um, Until recently, I was head of content at Meta Arcade. um, And I do a lot of editing, writing, narrative design, that sort of stuff in the tabletop, desktop,
3: and mobile
0: spaces. And Chelsea?
3: Hi, I'm Chelsea. My pronouns are she and they, or her. And you can find me on Twitter at ChelseaBytes. I'm currently working on building a community for the Byte command, where we basically open up our streaming community for all of our resources and things like that for new streamers so definitely check us out awesome
4: Brandon hi I'm Brandon my pronouns are he him or they them you can find me on Twitter at the rising tithes and I'm currently working on my own game Soundclash a game of music magic and sticking it to the man and my own serial novel with a publisher called Broken Eye Books which is called How to Unmake It in Anglia
0: And I'm Ray. My pronouns are he, him. You can find me on Twitter behind voices at the account for this podcast, as well as Dark Dragons Inn, the account for my other podcast, Tales from the Dark Dragons Inn. You can learn more about that show on tftddi.co.uk. Today, I'll be acting as a facilitator, but also as a participant in the discussion, as we'll be focused on the aspects of the game limited to a player perspective. This is also the last episode we'll be releasing focused on Interstitial, our hearts intertwined by Riley Hopkins of Link Smith Games. Starting next week, we'll be running an entirely new system, so look forward to that. Interstitial was designed in the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Games of this nature are often, though not always, characterized by playbook-driven character creation and the resolution of moves using two six-sided dice, resulting in failure, success, or partial success often with dangerous consequences. These together serve to create a collaborative narrative. In Powered by the Apocalypse games, you play to find out what happens. So, let's find out what our players thought. So before we get started, who, prior to this game, has never played or potentially read a Powered by the Apocalypse system?
2: Me? Yeah, I've never played
0: one before either.
4: I have also never played one. I read one before and it didn't make any sense to me. (laughs)
0: Which one, out of curiosity?
4: I can't remember. That's fair. It may have been Apocalypse World.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So, the, the fun thing about Powered by the Apocalypse is, as I said, they're often characterized by playbooks and two six sided dice. But there's a lot, especially now, there's a lot of dynamic changes that have been made to the system. So, in that case, my question to the three of you, and feel free to answer as you please, is how did you all feel? reading that for the first time because compared with i I mean i assume you all have experience in some kind of role-playing games presumably dungeons and dragons or similar so how was it what were your feelings and what was your first reaction to reading the actual system mechanics of this game in particular
3: well, I can go first. My first few experiences before finding Pathfinder, which is my current main experience now,
0: mm-hmm.
3: were pretty focused on like simple mechanics and this one was very interesting because it focused on your relationships with other people. That honestly gave me a freedom because usually we don't depend on we don't depend so much on our interactions with characters but more on our actions with our characters. And this time it actually made me feel better about role-playing. Yeah. So I really
0: enjoyed that. And how about you, Sam? What were your thoughts coming into Interstitial?
3: So
2: I'd actually, I listened to The Adventure Zone. Okay. Which currently uses, I think it's Monster of the Week, which is yes. powered by the Apocalypse System. So I had like some limited knowledge of how it works just in that, like sometimes they'll announce, okay, I'm rolling with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a plus one or whatever. Yeah. So actually reading that, I some things kind of clicked for me. Yeah. It's interesting in that, like, for me, I had a slightly different experience to Chelsea where I found it. I, I often in writing and, and role playing and things like that, I tend to focus a lot on character and relationship and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I found that making that super mechanic, making the mechanics rely on that and kind of dictate that. Yeah. And having the two feet off each other was it was constructive in some ways, but limiting in others, because the simplicity of it is a good starting place. Like the the limited sort of scope of the mechanics are, are a good way to see stuff like that. But there, there were moments where I was like, oh, it's, it's these mechanics didn't quite line up with what I wanted to do, or I just I just slightly missed so it was it was interesting to me, like the kind of give and take of what happens when you introduce mechanics to something that is very that isn't intuitively mechanical for me?
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. and we'll definitely come back to discussing the link system in in more depth afterwards. Um, how about you, Brandon? You said previously when you had looked at a powered by the apocalypse system, you sort of found that you well, it confused you or that you didn't get it. Did you feel the same way about interstitial? When I opened the
4: document for the first time, I did have this brief moment. Um, After you get past the page with all the lore and the sense of why the game exists, and you get to the first playbook, and I went, oh, it's one of those, isn't it? Can I play this game? Will this make sense to me? And as I'm now thinking about it, I think I realized the very small thing that made it make sense to me, compared to how it felt reading Apocalypse World. Yeah. is just when... Your ability to do something is framed in nouns instead of adjectives is actually very useful. I can also take verbs. Verbs are also very useful. But it felt like I knew precisely this is where this was coming from. I know what dark means. I know what light means. I know when I'm interpreting those things, everyone is on the exact same page. Which... For whatever reason, was kind of a stumbling block for me in terms of apocalypse world, just from the sense of reading it.
0: That that makes sense. I think in terms of a stat or whatever, it's it, it's a useful linchpin, if you will.
4: Yeah, it felt like I was seeing things go in the same direction.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I th- I think especially initially there were times. I think the very first link you made, you were like, uh, I think I want to make a heart link, and Algae was like. Are you sure? It sounds like that's a light link. And then you were like, oh wait, of course, that's friendship. No, I want to make a light link. And from that point onwards, it was just, I want a light link with everybody! Yeah!
4: (laughs) Friends are nice.
0: Yes. (laughs) Especially when you are playing the good, 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 good boys. Okay, so Cass, as a game designer yourself, and someone who I assume is intensely familiar with Powered by the Apocalypse, it looks like the link system is something for obvious reasons, I would assume, that we're all focused in on. So I'd like to get your take on that. The link system is the biggest thing that is unique to this system. What did you think?
1: So the link system was something that we had to do it a couple times in play for it to kind of click for me. Mm -hmm. Because I think as stats, the words made a lot of sense, but then trying to figure out, like, how does this relate to relationships? And I think what Sam sort of hit on that idea of, like, making relationships mechanical, you suddenly have to think about it a little differently. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what I liked, I think, is when our group realized you make links basically so you can spend them. And once we started, you know, linking with everything and spending them and having that sort of drive forward, like the action, then it felt like this really nice thing because it became something dynamic versus I think sometimes when you have a resource you want to just sit there and hoard it
0: all the time. I'm laughing because in in the game that we first played, not necessarily in the one that I played in with Brandon, but the game that I played with Algie and Marquez. Marquez spent so much time trying to get us to spend the links for things like re rolling dice. We just didn't. <laughs> We're like, no, this is my link, you can't have it <laughs> um. And I, I think personally I think it's quite interesting So uh, in in terms of the relationships being something that's mechanical and currency, something you may or may not be aware of is that everybody in pretty much every game interpreted the Link system differently. So in the first game that we played, we were doing a lot of quite dynamic shifting, as Cass said, where it was... We took the links primarily as something has changed in this moment and that's now reflected by this link that we have. I think we focused on it purely as a narrative almost because we not only made links with a bunch of people but we also were shifting links quite frequently. So I ended up in situations where, hey, I have a dark link with Kermit the Frog now. I mean, I personally found that really interesting. How do you feel the link system played out in your games?
1: So I think what really made it click for me was in our second game. We would make links with NPCs, and then we'd spend it, and it would kind of be a natural moment for that NPC to leave the scene when none of us had a link left. And the reason I ended up liking that is I felt like in the second game especially, we had a lot more relationships between the characters, um, because they were like the consistent thing, the player characters. So... That, I don't know how that would work well in a campaign, but for a one-shot, it was kind of a nice narrative device, too, of, like, we've spent all our links with this NPC, they can sort of exit stage left, and a lot of the consistent stuff was focused between the player characters.
0: I think, again, one of the limitations of the link system is this is a one-shot, so you don't really have the opportunities to do things like form locked links very well. Right, right. 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 The only way to form a locked link is to change your link very, very successfully. And obviously that wasn't particularly clear in the original because we were playing a pre-release version. The final version you may have seen if you got the update actually has a little section on how locked links happen. Chelsea.
3: Contrary to what she was saying, I understand it may be when, when you use locked links, I mean, or when you're using the link system, it did seem kind of like you're spending things. But I think the strength of this game is that when you play it, For, you know, much longer periods of times, you'll definitely have those opportunities to kind of create like a node map like, oh, I've made a relationship with these many people across this many lands and you'll watch your network grow.
5: Mm -hmm.
3: You can hoard your relationships at some times, you can, you know, spend some quickly at others. It it definitely has the potential to shine much later down the line if you played it, you know, if we, we had the beautiful opportunity of playing this game a lot more. So I can see the bigger picture.
0: Based off that, did you find yourself regularly making and spending links? Or did you find yourself kind of forgetting that it was there?
3: Oh, no. I read, I think it was uh, kind of in my nature with the characters that I picked. Just to spend and make links. Because I either had a character that was super friendly, you know, very, very charming. Or I had a character that was kind of off-putting. Or, you know, and, and I still ended up making links with a lot of characters. So, no, it, there was no abandoning or forgetting links on our end.
2: I had a little bit of a tougher time with understanding, like it's kind of what I was getting at before of, it wasn't quite so intuitive for me of how to tie in the links to the live gameplay and and make them feed off each other rather than having them be, I think like you said earlier, having them be something that just reflects gameplay rather than adding to it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think maybe for me, maybe it was just the kind of characters I was playing, or maybe it's just a me thing where I needed to recalibrate for a different style of gameplay. But this, this type of game, and particularly, I think, a one-off in this game requires, or not requires, but, um, it t- to really get at the mechanics, the story and gameplay need to consciously tailor to that. Mm-hmm. You need to have the players meet a lot of characters. You need to have them have shifting relationships with these characters. You need to have revelations of a personal and extra personal nature, like things like that, that will give people the opportunity to create and spend links and potentially lock them. I don't know that I ever locked a link.
0: I, I would be very surprised if you locked a link, honestly. Again, it was not particularly clear in the version we were using, but the only way to lock a link is to have a relationship with someone already, have not spent it, and then have a situation in which it changes and you need to re-roll that link, and then it gets a 10 that's when it becomes locked and you don't choose that it just becomes locked (laughs) so that could be really interesting in that you know hey maybe there was a character who you were trying to build a positive relationship with and then they do something and in the moment you're like oh i'm gonna roll to change my link i feel like we've got a hostile moment happening here and then you roll a 10 you're like oh now i permanently hate this guy
2: there's oh man i wish that had happened in the second game right there's a moment where uh chelsea you probably remember i do (laughs) oh yeah there was a moment where for sure that would have made a lot of mechanical and narrative sense
3: it would yeah can i hit off of what y'all just said yeah go ahead on the link system I think what the game would benefit from because I actually played a game called blades in the dark where you're supposed to make relationships you know it's not something that defines the game but it helps you it's an addition so I think it would help if they allowed you to make like your own quote-unquote I guess posse like at least one or two characters that you have relationships with before you go into the the world it might help you know, get people kind of settled in and started with the link system.
0: Well, funnily enough, I'll reach out to Brandon on this. We actually did our second one shot as though we had been playing a longer form campaign. Ah, okay. So we started with exactly that. Hey, you've been to Worlds previously and now you have links. You know, you're coming into the game with links, people you can reach out to. How did you feel... Overall, Brandon, because I know that this is unfortunately the only game you got to play, how did you feel in terms of the Link system in general? And did you feel like it impacted the way that you played much, having access to the Links in a pre existing sense?
4: I have a lot of seemingly contradictory feelings about how Links worked in that sense, because as you mentioned, my first game in Interstitial, I came in with. Some links already under the assumption that we had already been traveling for some time going on weird, wacky adventures, which I didn't even know was not the same case for everybody else, which makes me feel special now. Um, but that was useful because it meant that we had a certain level of freedom in terms of what we can do in the beginning whenever interesting things happen instead of having to rely on making links in certain situations with people that we had just met and knowing that we had to make decisions about the longevity of those links precisely because like one of the strange things about uh, interstitial for me is maybe this is a me thing Mm -hmm. but I like making connections with people I like knowing that unless something actually treacherous is going to happen in a game I have a lasting connection with someone and that in that reinforces the way that we consistently interact and knowing that that's also a tool that I have in play actually made me kind of hesitant to do a lot of very big things with those links because I didn't I didn't want to maybe this is the kind of narrative that I made in my head, because the character that I played, Kisaragi Gantaro, with the best of all friends in all of the universe, is the kind of person who just likes having friends, and also the kind of person who, in his original series, Kamen Rider Fose, lost all of his powers whenever he didn't have friends. So I didn't want to lose any of my friends.
0: So that's quite literally the game we're playing, almost. Because, yeah, as you spend all your links a lot of the moves that rely on those become inaccessible. So if you choose moves that rely on links, that's exactly what would happen, right?
4: Yeah. So as a result, I felt like um unless it was really narratively necessary, I didn't want to make big decisions with my links. That's
0: completely fair.
4: Yeah. And I felt like that w- I felt like that was rewarding for the for the playbook that I was playing. But that was guided in part by the kind of inherent mechanical narrative of how links work. That when you spend a link, that is technically the memory of your friendship, or enmity, or trust, or mental relationship with this person literally disappearing. Which is interesting, but it guided the way that I played.
0: See, I, I think that's the thing. I I think whether or not you feel that way is really see that i i completely understand that and the idea that you know i spend this link and now it's gone i think i i imagine the designer is intending this to be like kingdom hearts where you know you draw on your friend's power and you bring them into that moment to help you with a sudden burst of something right but mechanically you're right this moment you do that that link is gone but I don't think that that should necessarily reflect your relationship with that person being actually gone. But you could absolutely interpret it that way. And you're not in any way wrong to do so.
4: I feel like the way that that happened in my head is also guided by the fact that I knew that the game was kind of built upon the narrative of Kingdom Hearts as its kind of pitch. But the only Kingdom Hearts game I've ever played is Chain of Memories. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's fair.
2: So I found that like, part of the reason I was confused about locked links is because intuitively to me, that felt like what should happen when you spend a link, mm. uh, it becomes locked and you can't use it f- until the link changes or until it's refreshed by a new interaction with that person that's meaningful or something like that. Because what the mechanics imply narratively is that you're losing touch with that person or losing touch with how that person made you feel is Mm. how that came
0: across to me. Yeah. And it sounds like Brandon had a similar sort of vibe.
2: Mm -hmm. Also kind of springboarding off that is there, I mean, there is a playbook and I think Ray played as the displaced um, which is a uh, playbook yes. that is built on it. It already has that kind of built-in mm-hmm. history and links with other people.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and part of part of what I've been thinking about as we've been having this conversation is that the longer you play this game, and of course we we only played it for a short time, so this is all sort of hypothetical
0: the more everyone becomes the displaced
2: i mean yeah the the more honestly and it's not just that it's the more because these playbooks are defined by the characters relationships to other people and how they behave around other people Mm -hmm. it seems to me like there should be some kind of structure or some kind of protocol in place for shifting roles
0: because uh there actually kind of is oh okay i think uh, I could be. you know, you know what? I'm totally mixing games. There totally isn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought maybe it was in the revised edition that what? I didn't. I mean, you know, I
0: skimmed. Yeah. Well, if if you think about the advancements, like a lot of the advancements allow you to take moves from other playbooks, so in a way that could be reflected by that.
2: That's true. I I think that that does compensate for that to some degree. I, I'm.
0: I completely agree with you, though. You're right in that, like, the playbooks are essentially defined and driven by the relationships that you have.
2: And it's not just that. It's that they represent, because it's based a lot on Kingdom Hearts and because it's it's based on this premise of taking characters from other IPs, basically, mm-hmm. the core of each character is a trope, basically. But as, as in all media, the longer you have these characters out and about and interacting with the world, the more they shift. Like the, oh gosh, the the, the anti-hero character, I forget. Uh, like the the second choice, like I was almost the hero, but I forget the, the name of that playbook. But it seems to me like they could easily shift into, well, not easily, but they could over time shift into the friend or the light or... Uh, you know, the, the, the magic user character there or the dark. I
0: mean, I think by design, to an extent, that's actually the intent. And again, I do think an element of that is touched on by the moves you can pull from other playbooks as your advancements. As somebody who did that, because again, the game that Brandon and I played in we started at, like, air quotes, level four. So we took up to three advancements and the main advancement. And the three advancements I took were, I think I gave myself a buff and then I took two moves from other playbooks. There is nothing I enjoy more personally than pulling moves from other playbooks and just building my own character. But I enjoy it yeah. more in this game than I enjoy it in any other game. It's so good.
2: Right. Because the, the, in this game... It's it it has concrete implications for what it means for your character. It's not like like leveling up exactly. It's more like adding depth to the character and showing character growth, which is cool. And and it, you're right, it does reflect changing character roles as as the game and the narrative progresses.
0: So uh, one of the questions we had pitched at us, Cass, was as Sam briefly touched on, the playbooks are designed to reflect specific character archetypes. For example, we have the friend that is your support character, but quite literally is the character that is, depending on what moves you pick, quite self-effacing in a way. Then you've got the character that's sort of the anti-hero, the dark, and so on and so forth. The question that we had was, did you find the playbooks limiting because they are designed around specific character archetypes?
1: I think... For one-shot and I imagine even starting a campaign I found it really helpful because it's not just the archetype you're generally linking it with an existing character so I found it helpful because I for example I played Claudia from dragon prince as one of the ones and I could have picked a couple different archetypes based on her character but I went with the dark because she does dark magic and is kind of an anti-hero And I actually found that having that really clear archetype playbook I felt like gave me, in the beginning, some really strong touchstones because I don't like to, even if I'm making my own character, I don't like to have a huge ton of backstory or everything figured out. So I thought it was a nice way to sort of inspire, like, okay, when there's a conflict, when in doubt, my character will respond this way. And then I think as you two talked about, if I were to continue on with a player, I would absolutely want to pull from other playbooks to sort of show that character growth of like, well, you know, I'm not just this antihero now. I also maybe have learned to be a little bit of a friend or something like that.
0: Those were my feelings pretty much exactly, is that someone said, did you feel like the character archetypes, uh, archetypes of the playbook were limiting? And for me personally, not even a little bit
1: it helps, too, that there are a lot of playbooks to pick from. hmm
0: Right. And the thing is, is, like, I, in my second game, played Mickey Mouse. And as you are possibly aware, Mickey Mouse is actually a character in Kingdom Hearts. All of the archetype playbooks under the, you know, where it says the friend or the magician or whatever, it has a list of names so that when you're like, well, what what kind of person is the magic user? Oh, they are like this character they are like Sora they are like this person and Mickey Mouse was listed I'm pretty sure as the the mage or whatever it was I absolutely did not play Mickey Mouse as the mage I played Mickey Mouse as the prodigy because the prodigy, uh, <laughs> prodigy playbook is cool as hell <laughs> and I don't know about you but every time I think about interstitial now precisely because there are so many playbooks I think Oh my god, what if I ran it as this character? Yeah. What if I ran oh, it as yeah. this character, as mm-hmm. that playbook?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And for me, probably because the touchstones are so strong, they immediately inspire... Once you're looking at it, you're reading it over, you're like, oh, this is like that character. I think the knucklehead is probably the clearest example, because it's quite clearly Goku and Naruto and... Hmm. almost literally like if you pick one of those moves you're like i am playing naruto now (laughs) this is my naruto simulator so yeah i personally didn't feel like it was limiting i suppose the question then you say that um the touchstones are really strong did you feel like say you've chosen the the dark did you feel like the moves were of that playbook were written in such a way that you couldn't choose moves that played to your personal placements. So, for example, if you pick these three moves, you're going to play one way, but if you pick a a different three moves, it's going to play completely differently? Or did you feel like all the moves in the Dark playbook are going to play kind of the same, regardless of which ones you choose?
1: I thought, so from my experience playing the Dark, I thought there was a lot of variety because, I mean, it ranges from you can teleport yourself to you can convince somebody with your Dark stat to you can, you know, disappear in shadows, to you can, let me see another, take harm and be revived. So I thought there was a lot of flavor within the different moves. And then I Mm -hmm. also think one thing that helped is the base moves, I don't think we really talked about, are pretty broad. So, like, there's one base move that's just cast magic. And playing a magical character it was really nice because it left a lot of space to describe what that magic looks like and what it does. And so I thought like the playbook had some very specific moves, but there was variety. And then the basic moves were sort of broad enough to give space for what didn't fit in the playbook. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Base moves. I I totally agree. I like the playbook moves in that they're pretty specific and very tied to the character, but the base moves really covered the ground between those things. And in my first game, I played as Dr. Romero from Spy Kids 2, who is, I, I played him as the 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 mage, the sage, and I, and I played him as someone who ends up doing a lot of quote-unquote magic, even though he's a scientist. So the way that worked was really, the move was exactly the same, but narratively, it had slightly different Framing, I guess, in that it was more like I'm going to pull out a gizmo from my pocket, or I'm going to engineer this thing suddenly from this. So it it really it lends itself to adaptation really well. Um, it's it's broad and very adaptable, which I like.
3: Yeah, I'd actually like to touch on that real quick with the with the base moves. I played the connected for my first one. I made an original character. It. Mostly, I feel like mostly its strengths are you being creative and finding, you know, a narrative way of, of you know, getting out of a situation versus, you know, when I play my other games or like in Pathfinder, I'll have, you know, I'll be like, all right, bass shield, power attack.
0: Now I'm going to hit the thing real hard.
3: Yeah, I'm going to hit you. Yes, exactly. There, there, it goes into much more detail with the uh, fighting versus an interstitial where it goes into much more detail and how you interact and how you find your, yourself in or out of situations.
2: Mm-hmm. The, even the, like the, the way that combat is framed in the basically instructions on how to do it is it's a very short summary of how combat should work. And it, the, the summary is basically like, keep it short, keep it high energy, keep it simple this is not what the game is about. I think that was that was very cool and I think pretty well done.
0: And interestingly enough, you can still do a lot of combat, as uh, I'm sure Cass can elaborate on their first game. That was like a good chunk of it. And yet, yeah, I mean, how did you feel that worked out in terms of narrative gameplay?
1: Yeah, so we... A lot, we, I feel like most of our conflict that first game ended up being combat, which might be kind of because we were on like, we were in the world of Zelda on a quest. Those are kind of the obvious like fantasy obstacles.
0: And also you were dealing with something that couldn't really be communicated out of.
1: Yes. And I, I think that was another example where like Chelsea and Sam were talking about that the, the general moves really support narrative descriptions. And so I liked that because the moves themselves were pretty straightforward and we were generally doing as people kind of the same moves, but describing the result. And then when it didn't work out, describing the consequences very differently. So if my character had a spell go wrong, that's very different than if Swiftwind, the Alicorn, attacked something wrong. And so I think it's another of those where like the moves did a really nice job of being like, here's the basic mechanic but then your character really informed a lot of the description of what that actually looked like
0: so before we move on because we are talking about moves i would like to touch on something we don't have to talk about it for too long but there is one thing about this game that even in the final release version i still don't super love link moves Did anybody at any point find themselves in a position where when they rolled a seven to nine, they chose to trigger their link move instead of just getting the link they wanted? Uh, Yes. In fact, did anybody actually trigger their link move at any point in time?
2: I think I did. We
3: did a few times, but we were, yeah.
2: There there were a couple times where I think I triggered a link move through a very successful roll. Mm Mm-hmm. Not in the first game because the first game my character totally tanked every single roll. Oh, that was so Chelsea funny! As Chelsea, I'm sure
0: remembers. Yes, you rolled nothing but sixes.
2: Oh yeah, six six six. Hail Satan! But but in the second game, I rolled better, and basically, do you know what um, playbook you were playing? Out of curiosity. Oh, I was, play- I was playing The Light in the second one. The Light, okay. And I don't remember my
0: move. That's why I'm asking, because the thing with the playbook, the Link moves, is a lot of them just don't happen. Like, a lot of the context of them tends to just be superfluous. Um, like, I think Brandon probably had this...
4: I definitely did cuz I also played Delight and I can tell you what that link move is. It's when you when you make when you make a link with someone who uh, another player already has a link with. Every player heals one harm. Oh yeah. And I obviously was stacking up friends, right? And no one ever got hurt.
2: People got hurt
4: in my game.
0: The thing is is even if we had gotten hurt though, Brandon's character's go-to was I have met someone, we are friends now so the first thing that Brandon's character did Uh every time they met someone was they made the link no one else had met that person yet Mm -hmm. so there was Mm -hmm. never going to be a situation where unless they rolled above a 9 where the link move was going to trigger
2: That's interesting. It's funny that the the light playbook really encourages you to be that friendly. Like the premise of it is you are a very very friendly, approachable person who makes links easily and encourages links between others. And to have, I I do remember the frustration of like, oh man, this link move would be great if it, you know, Mm -hmm. if anyone else had a link with this person yet. But by its nature, yeah.
0: The friend is the same. If you have a link with someone your friend already has a link with, then it does a thing. And then there's another one where it's like... So in terms of locked links, that was another way you could do it, is the mystic. Whenever right. you make a link with someone, you lock a different link, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another one where it's like some. whenever someone else makes a certain kind of link, then your link move triggers.
1: Yeah, that's the dark.
0: I Basically, I feel like... They're an interesting concept, but a lot of the playbooks are written in such a way that unless you are specific, like you, like with The Friend, for example, or The Light, you have to specifically think about when you're making those links if you actually want to take advantage of the move. Or you get lucky and roll high. You know how to metagame how you make friends. Exactly, and then you're, you're suddenly mechanic, because of a mechanical reason, you're thinking, oh, well, I can't make a friend yet. <laughs> because someone else needs to make a friend first so that my party can benefit from my moves.
4: I can't be too friend-selfish.
1: It's interesting, because I think the light or the friend, one of those in our second game was actually one of the only Link moves that got used all the time. Uh, but again, we had a pretty combat-heavy conflict, so like it made sense. Sure. But I think, yeah, what you're talking about, totally, so for the dark Every time that first game I would look at it, it's when another character makes a dark link, I mark experience and take plus one forward. But because I was playing a dark character, all the other players picked non-dark characters. Um And so it's like, it is one of those things where the link move makes sense thematically, but then in play, it's almost the opposite of what you're ever going to do.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's the thing. I think of of all the aspects of the system, the one part for me that was weakest, especially in direct relation to the Linksmith, was the Link moves. I wanted to want to use them. I wanted to be in a position where making a friend was going to do some tight stuff.
3: Right, yeah.
0: And then it just didn't pan out that way, and that was really disappointing to me.
3: Just chiming in on those Link moves, uh. I thought that the connected links, the connected link move was actually really interesting because whenever you took a light link with somebody, uh, you could give another character a world link. And uh, with these world links, they're basically representations of the world itself. So you could use these links, you know, to automatically 10 plus a roll and, you know, you miss the next one. And it would give you the ability to heal a party's harm, but you'd erase a link from each person. Or you could change these links, and I think the first part of that move was really cool. When you take a light link, you can give the character a world link because through you, you create positive, you know, connections to the world with
0: the world. Yeah, right. I think that's the thing. Is like that one. I think is probably one of the better ones because it is designed around a specific play style. Hmm. But I think a lot of the other ones, especially, I think it's when your move depends on other characters, right. the, link, the link move system falls apart because it's kind of like, well, I'm not benefiting. I, and I think that's sort of probably where that weakness comes from, perhaps in a narrative sense is like, well, I know we're friends, but why, uh, why am I friends with that person? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Just because you are. That That was my biggest gripe is I wanted the link moves to work more and they just very playbook specific I guess
3: a lot of dependencies for sure
1: I wonder if that would change in a longer campaign especially if you start taking from other playbooks like if your character becomes more complex if you would find it happening more
0: so taking from other playbooks wouldn't necessarily affect your link move but if other players were taking things like oh that's a dark move then they would have to roll dark Right. so yeah I, I could see that also, in a longer campaign, you may be revisiting worlds where, hey, maybe you meet a character where another character has met them, but you didn't. Um,
5: mm-hmm.
0: So that could, that, could, that could make sense in that sense. I suppose it's one of the limitations of like a one-shot, is that there are ways in which this system really shines in one-shots, and then other ways in which it's really hurt by a one-shot. Mm-hmm.
2: The, that kind of goes back to the the spending links thing yeah we're in a one-shot it doesn't make sense to spend a link when the person is like still right there but i can imagine as you travel through various worlds over a long period of time you have to spend links or otherwise your friend list basically becomes unmanageable yeah there's no real downside to spending a link when you are pretty sure you're never going to see that person again like it kind of makes sense to to use that memory of them and then move on.
0: Well, see, I think it depends on how you see a link because ultimately, like for me personally, with the description of the game being like making connections with people and the power we draw from those connections, to me that in certain situations, like if they're not there, the memory of that person can drive your actions. But also, if they are there, then spending that link could be like they are helping you actively in that moment. And so that's reflective of that connection and the literal additional power that they give you.
2: Yeah, it definitely makes sense in that in that way. And I know we talked about that before. I still just have a problem with, like, no longer having a link with them when they're standing right there. I did spend a link in the second game. I think I might even spend more than one when the character was still, like, around... And the way I sort of justified that to myself is the circumstances of the spending wasn't so much like it, it, it was more along the lines of severing ties right. uh, with the character in that relationship and moving on. So that's that's
3: where I'm coming from with that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I wanted to kind of hit on that earlier. How I felt about that, I kind of saw it more as like favors almost like mm. I made this. We had this interaction I may have given you some information that you valued. And, you know, when I spend this link, we're we're even. I kind of wish that it didn't. I don't want it to come off as like, oh, well, our relationship's over. I think it should be more of like, oh, well, the way we left each other, that's how we can always come back.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I, I didn't personally feel like, oh, that link is gone. I don't care about that person anymore. For me, it was more, because I didn't make links with everyone I met. I largely made links with people when it felt narratively interesting to me. Right. So for me, those links represented more like the last big feeling I had about that person. And also, they quite literally changed the way I acted. I was trying to make a mastery link with Kermit, and I rolled badly, and uh, Marquez is like, well, it's a dark link now, and I was like, that? Oh, I hate that guy. Uh, Who does he think he is? Don't you know who I am? But let's not go back to the link system, because we did talk about that a lot.
1: I know what I found, and some other people have found, this system made for kind of a good one-shot. And... Was just kind of wondering what parts of the system seemed to help with that more like one shot style of play.
4: For me personally, one of the things that I, I think kind of helped that is that the game focuses so heavily on making connections with other people as opposed to everything else. So it meant that you could focus three, four hours of action on meeting and interacting with people, as opposed to immediately getting bogged down by how long it takes to solve a puzzle, or how intense this combat encounter is. You get to move from scene to scene based on your interactions with people, which is both a lot of very meaningful content that can take place in a couple of minutes, and never really so long that you can spend like a half an hour talking to one person. I mean, you can, it's not going to be fun, um... (laughs) So that was actually kind of pleasant for me that we were playing a game solely based on how we interacted with other people and like how we progressed through the conflict that we were dealing with was based on those interactions. confirming what those interactions meant yeah I think that for me kind of because I'm also kind of curious about how that works in a longer campaign setting because there are only so many things that you can do in terms of just talking to people or getting to know people better but I also would like to see how those things kind of flesh out more so I feel like that does work better as a one shot but in a campaign it becomes a question of how many episodes can you talk to people (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, I think with that in specific, it really depends. Because obviously, a lot of the core ways you gain power or whatever stem from talking to people. But I think if you see talking to people as an extension of solving problems, mm-hmm. that then becomes just I mean, how many, you know, how many problems can you find in a game where you are allowed to travel to as many worlds as you want? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm probably a lot. Yeah. Because obviously all the base moves allow you to do more or less anything and then your individual playbooks channel your abilities into doing specific rad things. Beyond that, it's just about, you know, what's the limits of your narrative imagination really?
4: For sure. I agree. As you de- as you described it like that, as you described it like that, I I literally just went, "Oh, there're entire TV shows that I have watched where that is the thing." that's sliders that's quantum leap
0: we did ironically talk about quantum leap last time and i own the box set and i love it
4: <laughs> because interstitial is a game that is so heavy on how making connections with people solves problems i guess i just wanted to kind of hear what was some of those what, some of the interesting ways in which those connections led to a very interesting solving of a problem in your games
0: i'll volunteer mine and this is the last episode of these series so if people are listening to this, they've heard your games, so you don't have to worry about spoilers.
2: Oh, cool. In our Uh... first
0: game, we were playing James from Team Rocket and Lapis Lazuli from Steven Universe, and the world of Jim Henson's creations. And so we were in the Muppets, and obviously the Muppets is a very silly world, and there is the Eagle character from the Muppets, and... He made a deal with the Goblin King from the Labyrinth so that he would take over the the world of the Muppets, which is just this permanent stage show, basically. So the second act of that episode was him turning into a gigantic heartless bird. And, and Lapis Lazuli wraps me and Kermit in her wings. And James, being the displaced, his his whole thing is he left his world behind because his world was going to be destroyed and he had to leave. And he had to leave everyone behind because it was either he survives or nothing survives. And so he's in this moment with Kermit, who he now has a light link with, being like, look, we need to get out of here. There is no choice. We must go. It doesn't matter what happens to your friends. You need to survive. Because if you don't, you know, they've made their choice. Kermit. Shrugs that off, and basically, as we're leaving, Kermit leaps out of James's arms and gets absorbed by the giant Heartless. And James <laughs> says to Lapis Lazuli, "He's made his choice. Let's go." And Lapis, because she has a heart link with uh, with a light link with Kermit, throws James through the portal and flies back to fight the Heartless on her own. And I can't really remember how, but she manages to get them all out of that. But I think in terms of character motivations driven by links. That was one of like that was probably the the moment that stood out to me the most, at least from that game, um, because yeah, James and, and Lapis had had this, and Lapis' whole thing is also that she left her world behind. So they both have this. We left our world behind. James is like that was the right thing to do. Lapis is sort of in the mindset of I could have done things differently, and so her motivation, driven by this relationship that she has with Kermit. Completely changed the last 10 minutes of that situation, basically. I don't know that any of the situations in terms of problems that we encountered in my games actually had problems to solve,
2: necessarily. In in the second game, well, there there were definitely problems in our first game that we ended up solving at the end, but not necessarily through any Link stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, but in the second game that Chelsea and I played, we I I would say that my character played as Lorne with the light playbook, um, Lorne from Angel, the TV series. His his whole arc during that second game was he basically made a lot of bad judgment calls based on the links he had. Um, he ended up having contrary links with. People, he had a, a heart link, like he rolled badly. He was trying to form a light link, got a heart link with a key player who could have given us a lot of valuable information. But because of the nature of his link and the way he was thinking about that character, he handled the situation very badly and basically set our investigation back, I think.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Looking back, that's definitely what happened. Chelsea, I think you would probably agree
1: yeah
3: see yeah chelsea would agree but chelsea played ariel from the little mermaid and she played the light playbook so ariel was very naive it just kind of going with the flow
2: but you ended up doing a lot of good stuff because you you made a lot of good lengths with people and spent them in in ways that helped us advance uh, which was cool
3: yeah it was very yeah it was interesting. Ariel. Even though she wasn't like particularly, you know, keen or, I guess, intuitive on certain things, she ended up making a lot of progress. <laughs> and, but- yeah. And you and you kind of cleaned up and followed up a- around, you know, my wake of a, uh, of just running and bustling around, and you kind of found the deeper, you know, the deeper meaning and hidden meanings and things, and it kind of slapped me in the face at the end.
0: What would be your number one tip? to somebody who is coming to Interstitial for the first time as a player. Cass?
1: I think my number one tip would be to embrace the camp of it all. I think one of the things I really ended up loving about both sessions I played is our characters had nothing in common, completely different franchises, should not have worked at all, completely ridiculous, and that's what made it so completely memorable.
2: Sam? Mm, I would say, try to pick, try to play a character who will have agency going into the story. That's something I kind of learned between the first and second games. Or maybe it's just a way to rethink about a character. But pick a character who will, you know, not necessarily be the knucklehead, but won't be cowering in the corner all the time either. Pick a character who has motivations to work with and, and a lot of stuff to run with
3: that they will run with, if
2: that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Chelsea?
3: My number one tip to you, interstitial player, is to not be afraid to make as many links as possible. Even if they're good or bad, they make the story more interesting. And be creative with how you tackle situations. It'll open your mind up to new ways to approach different scenarios for
0: sure. And Brandon?
4: Dear interstitial player, My tip to you is, see, think of your play session as writing a fan fiction mashup and try to find the interesting ways in which the links that you make and the way that you use them add to emotional moments in that session.
0: One final thing we've all sort of touched on there is don't worry about how you personally interpret your links being right or wrong, because every way you can interpret or use them is valid. That should be my player tip, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) My player tip, especially if you come from a background of games like Dungeons & Dragons, is lean into your player agency. Even if you are playing a character who's a coward or who doesn't want to take action against anyone, Remember that you as a player are able to drive the story forward more strongly than any other force at the table. No dice roll or decision you make is going to stop things from progressing because all that is required to progress the story in your game is for you to do anything. Don't wait on your GM to tell you what happens next. If there's a moment of silence at the table make something happen that's it that's that's all of it and that was the end of our roundtable discussion in this episode on two separate occasions i mentioned that this is the last episode of interstitial we will be releasing before starting a new system as it turns out though that's not the case we've got hopefully two more games set to release featuring some exciting guest players so look forward to those. Once they're out, you can expect new group dynamics, new stories, and an entirely new game. Until next time, you've been listening to Voices at Play, building a table for everyone.